What's up, guys? Football is finally upon us. I know you guys are excited. I'm excited to get uh, rolling into really what we love to do. Uh, it's the season. So hopefully you guys are going to enjoy that this week. I know we are. Uh, go check out our website, runthepower.com. Go sign up again for our free standard membership. No reason not to. It's free. It'll always be free. Some good information on there. If you like that, uh, go join our premium membership. We've already had several coaches join that. Uh, they're really enjoying it. We're getting some great feedback from it, and we will continue to update that at least monthly, if not more. So go check it out. We've got some really good stuff in it. Coach Walls is doing some unbelievable stuff with that. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sky Coach. Skycoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. You've got 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium and any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. Uh, we're getting ready to start the season. As you guys know, so are you. Uh, I'm lucky that we have Skycoach and we get to have a butt shot. We also get a uh, wide shot during the game. So a second after the play's over, I get a butt shot. It's obviously a, a huge advantage for us. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. Skycoach is the market leader in sideline replay. Go visit them at myskycoach.com to learn even more. This episode is also brought to you by the powerful Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one -on -one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communication to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. They're family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. Go visit them at sidelinepower.com, by email at info at sidelinepower.com, or just give them a call at 800-496-4290. This episode is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own program, you have a full-time strength coach, or you need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Visit their website and start a 14-day free trial. And right now, Team Builder is offering coaches a complimentary in-season football strength program. As you guys know and you've heard through Twitter on ESPN, New England Patriots are squatting up to 90% of their one-rep max, uh, even deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning philosophy is to just maintain, then obviously you guys, you're not doing it right. You're not doing the best for your kids. You can get the template once you start a 14-day free trial with Team Builder. Uh, just reach out to them. Tell them that we sent you. Uh, tell them that you've been listening to RTP and heard uh, about Team Builder. Go visit Team Builder at teambuilder.com. That's team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. And then last but certainly not least, uh, the people that have been with us from day one is Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. Most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. Uh, we've got on it hot and heavy right now, uh, broken air with my offensive line. That way I don't have to keep the kids up there during two-a-days. 
Uh, they can go home and rest, and then they can get on here when they have a chance and when they've rested up to really see what I need them to look at. Look at uh, some notes from that day before and what we're going to be installing the next day. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents guaranteed. Visit Team Attack Academy at teamattackacademy.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with my good friend Jerry Ostrowski. Coach Ostrowski is an assistant coach at Holland Hall High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's also the co-host of the Coach and Big O Show on the Sports Animal in Tulsa with former OSU head coach Pat Jones. Listen as we talk with Big Jerry about his football journey from Pennsylvania to the University of Tulsa, where he actually played with my dad uh, on the offensive line at Tulsa, and then Big Jerry went on to play for the Buffalo Bills. His thoughts on playing and coaching the offensive line and defensive line, and the many stories that he had with me growing up, uh, and the impact that he had on my football career. You can follow Coach Ostrowski on Twitter, at Ostrowski underscore Big O. Hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, well, all right, we'll get going uh, here with Big Jerry. Um, I've known you for forever since I was – before I knew I knew you. I was, I was just a little little guy, and, and uh, Dad played football with you over at Tulsa, and then uh, you went to Buffalo and played, and then now back in Tulsa. So you kind of want to give everyone else just kind of your backstory as far as – I know coming from, I think, Pennsylvania and then coming down yeah, to exactly. Tulsa. And so kind of give them the backstory that the people that don't know you nearly as well as I do. Uh, no, came to came to University of Tulsa from outside of Philadelphia, a town called Pottstown. And uh, when I was at TU, we had, I think, 20, 25 guys from Pennsylvania and or Canada were on the team. We had a couple of brothers. There was one of them lived in Canada. One of them was from Pittsburgh. And they were kind of vital in, in that they called it the, you know, the Pittsburgh pipeline or Pennsylvania pipeline. And uh, so we had, we had guys from Pittsburgh. We had guys from Philly area, guys from Canada. And um, it's a pretty good group of players, to be honest with you. Was that was there a coach that was from Pennsylvania? I think that's what, what I had yeah, heard or something. Our offensive line coach, Mark Thomas, he was from uh, he was from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he played at Penn State for uh, Joe Pa. And then wow. um, he ended up coaching with uh, his lineage was was kind of Bill Parcells, um, Bobby Bowden, West Virginia, through that way. Uh, a guy named George Henshaw is who he was uh, close with. And when George came out to Tulsa, was the head coach for one year before he went to the Denver Broncos. Um, Mark was still here, and then he coached, obviously, with Coach Raider uh, for quite a while. Is that when you guys were running the Veer then? <laughs> no, that was actually when Alexander was there, was when they were running the Veer. Actually, <laughs> when Henshaw came, he brought a pro set. We ran pro set stuff. Uh, he was uh, – he had Coach Raider, Dave Raider, as his offense coordinator. Dave was in Alabama with those guys. With Perkins was his connection. Perkins from the Giants, because Dave actually was drafted by the Giants, um, and he went up there and was with them through the Perkins connection, Alabama. Then that's where they came down here. So there's, it's kind of, kind of a weird. You know, how coaching is man. It's all who you know. And those guys were all familiar with one another, and that's how they ended up down here at Tulsa. Well, uh, when Dad, because I think Dad went through what two or three different head coaches, a bunch of offensive oh, yeah. line coaches. How sure. many did you got? How many did you go through while you were there? Well, the funny thing is, I went through one coach. Oh, really? I mean, Mark Thomas was my line coach the whole time. I think when your when your father showed up, he had Morton's Morton's crew was there when Morton before he left and west of Wisconsin, and then he had Henshaw, 
and that's when uh, Mark Thomas came in with Henshaw. So I think he had at least two, maybe three. Yeah. Well, then you got drafted and went to uh, Buffalo. But um, if I remember right, and again, it's been a while. But it's yeah, like, I actually got drafted by the Chiefs. Oh, the Chiefs. Okay, that's right. Yeah, they don't even have that. They don't even have that round anymore. Well, I was picked in the twelfth round, or actually the tenth round by the Chiefs. That's it what was, I was going to uh, talk about. Yeah. yeah, it was like. <laughs> now I think of you. Exactly. It was like you were the guy that was always on TV as a kid. But um, you know, <laughs> I'd also it was like kind of a work in progress at the first few years, right? I mean, it was kind well, of tough a, to get it was, yourself it in. It wasn't a work in progress, man. It was a struggle. A struggle. Was, there we go. You know, I got drafted in the 10th round by the Chiefs. I went up there for a preseason. Uh, they released me. Then I came back to I came back to Tulsa, was kind of a student assistant for a while. Then I went to the Falcon and was there for a, for a preseason, was there until the last cuts, and then they released me. Came back to Tulsa, was back in Tulsa for a few weeks, and then I got signed by the, uh, by the Bills on their practice squad. So that's when I went up to Buffalo, was there for uh, the end of the season, the playoffs. Um, Thought I was going to make the team next year. They released me again. The Bills did, but brought me right back on the practice squad. And then with six games remaining, they brought me up on the on the uh, the fifty three man roster. So they called me in. They said, "Hey, we're going to sign you this week." And the reason why they waited is because if they can wait long enough, they can get you for for a part of the year, but it doesn't count towards free agency. <laughs> they, could, they 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 had me in a sling again, so to speak. So they they brought me in and. Um, they said, look, we're going to go down to Miami. It's a Sunday night game. I don't know if you're going to go in or not. If somebody gets hurt, you might go in, so be ready. And about halfway through the second quarter, the left guard gave up another sack. And the O coordinator just blew his mind. He turns and looks at me and says, who was also the, the line coach, he says, you're in next series. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm, I got my hat on. I'm, I'm enjoying the whole thing. I'm making a little bit more money than I was making last week. Let's not screw this up. He's like, no, you're in next series. I'm like, wow. And I went in. We won the game on Sunday night, and I played 100-some games in a row and never never left the field after that. So it was just a pretty wild pretty wild start to a, to a good career. Well, that's always the craziest to me because, like, it's like that's a lot of stuff to have to get through to keep telling yourself, well, let's keep rolling. Let's keep trying. You know, I know there's a lot of guys – uh, that I knew personally that obviously weren't as good as you, but, you know, they get cut one time and they're done. They're like, okay, I got to go do something else. I'm obviously – this isn't for me. But to be able to go through that two years, you know, and then back on the practice squad and then finally you make it. And then, uh, like right. you said, you just don't don't give it up after that. It, there's, there's a bit of luck to it. I mean, it's the right place at the right time. And it wasn't until I got to Buffalo to where I was able to get in the weight room more and I was able to develop as a player – because, you know, practice squad in the league is just like your young guys that you guys work with. They're the guinea pigs. Strength coach would grab us and say, come on, we're going to do this today. And you'd get on the treadmill and do some just ridiculous interval run and be just blown up. And you're like, what is that for? Oh, I was just trying to see if I like it or not. Obviously, I don't, I don't think it's going to work. So then the next day, you do something else. And the thing that was, was, was really good for me was the guy that was the strength coach in Buffalo was kind of a four – he was a forefather in nutrition and a forefather in, in prehab and being able to take guys that maybe were looked over because of different things and, and take them and turn them into the players that they could be. And the Bills were renowned for taking late-round picks, huge guys like House Ballard. House Ballard played for years. 
House was from a small school in Alabama, was taken in the seventh round, I believe, or eighth round. And the only reason they took a shot on him was because he was a humongous man. I mean, you know how it is. You can't coach size. Right. And uh, Rusty worked with him and turned him into an all-pro. And I was lucky enough to have that guy. And, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm getting meal plans and I'm getting, you know, hey, you need to go to the grocery store and buy this. Or, hey, we've got chefs now. They know what you, what you need to eat. So when you go up and see them, they're going to give you what you're supposed to have. And he was the four, you know, you, you think nowadays, like, oh, you just built this huge facility. Right. And the big part of it is the nutrition bar. And you can go in there any time of day and get food. Those guys were doing this before anybody else did it. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was, it was kind of groundbreaking. And, and that's what's so funny about this is Rusty retired. And just recently when Frank Reich left Philadelphia and went to Indianapolis, he brought Rusty out of retirement. Because he's like, if I'm going to do this, I've got to have this guy with me because he understands what we need to do. So it's, it takes the whole – because you laugh. You know how it is. Some of these guys, you, you see a strength coach and you have a, a certain image of a strength coach. Bald guy, goatee, you know, muscled up. Right. Drinks, drinks monster energy drinks all the time. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. And, yeah. But then you're rusty and you're like, dude, this guy looks like a stockbroker. Like there's no reason for him to be here. But then he starts talking and he starts doing stuff with you and you understand real quick because he had a hockey background and the hockey training was so different from football and he was able to take some of that hockey stuff, bring it into the Bills because our front office was all ex-Pittsburgh Mahler guys Hmm. from the USFL. And Rusty was part of the Penguins who who owned the Pittsburgh Maulers and that's kind of how the whole thing worked and the rest is – is obviously history well and even an even bigger deal then too because you couldn't google hey what should i be eating i mean even now, <laughs> yeah if you're exactly. smart enough now and want to know enough you, you can find a way yeah. but it was like back then unless you had a degree in it or really studied it up right. you better have someone good that can tell you what to do you didn't have that app you didn't have to lose it on your phone yeah, that's right so it wasn't like you just turned to go to the app store and buy a diet program and uh, so, no, it was definitely groundbreaking stuff. Uh, he tortured us. I mean, he tortured me. <laughs> he was the one that kind of started this craze with a thing called the bod pod, which was a – it looked like an egg that you got into and it your body comp. And, I mean, he basically tortured me. I mean, it was the most miserable thing of all time. Did you ever have I'm, a good score on the bod pod? Guy, you know, <laughs> I'm not that dude. I'm much more of a uh, – I'm much more of a beer and pizza guy than a, a, a pizza, you know, than a, than a, than some grilled chicken and a salad. That's right. <laughs> I just think it's amazing. I mean, how far that stuff has come and you see so many coaches now, I mean, all they do is they preach the weight room, they preach the weight room. Right. I've always said that's half of it. I mean, if you're going to get huge, you got to feel your body. And a lot right. of these coaches, I think are guilty of tearing kids down, but then they're, they're not teaching them how to build themselves back up. And all exactly. these kids do is get hurt or they deplete. But to me, even at the NFL level, they're taking guys like you, kind of like you said, the guinea pig, but guys that had a frame, guys that wanted to work, and they're turning them into to machines that can go start 100 some right. guys. Your comment about how, we, how they train and how you break down kids, and it's so true. I mean, you can overtrain very easily. You can only do so much. The body, the body horm- the hormone system of a, of, a, of, a teenage, of a teenage boy or a teenage kid it only works for so long. And then after an hour or so, it starts, you start depleting energy, you start breaking down muscle tissue. 
so you have to figure out the right way to do things. And, and obviously the training nowadays is unbelievable. The scientific, the science behind it is amazing. And that's what, that's the cool part, at least about Broken Arrow. And, and now I know a lot of, even some of the smaller schools around and, and obviously the bigger schools having dedicated strength and conditioning coaches at the high school level is, is kind of what you see more and more. And, and, um, you know, even like the best thing that I've seen since we got to Broken Arrow was we feed the kid peanut butter and jelly and chocolate milks every day. And so uh, you right. talk about it just a cheap, easy way to help these kids build it back up after you tear it down. And so, um, and I'm sure there's a ton of schools around Oklahoma doing it, but uh, it, it's really important, I think, for those kids to get that. You know, it's funny. I've got a, a senior that's going to go to Drake this year and play up there by up by Coach Walls, and we're real excited about it. I actually love the Des Moines area. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to hit you up, believe me. Yeah. I, need somebody to, I need somebody to take me over to the Mud Bums headquarters. i got to go see those yeah. cats. But, um, no, I mean, he's up here trying to gain weight. I mean, he's an undersized offensive lineman. And when I, it's funny, I say undersized. He's 6'3", and he's pushing 250, and he's under. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> trying to, you know, we're trying to put some weight on him. And the other day, he's marching up the stairs. I'm like, he's finally heard the message. He's got four peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, <laughs> and a glass of milk. And I go, you can eat all that before you go to bed? He goes, no, I'm going to eat two of them drink the milk, and then I'm going to wake up about four in the morning and eat the other two and go back to sleep. I was like, thank you. <laughs> finally has heard. So it's, it's funny. It's, 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 it's come a long way, but like you said, there's still things out there. You can go buy the weight gain powder you want. The best weight gainer in America is a, lo- uh, is a loaf of bread and some peanut butter. Throw a little honey or something on it, and you've got the best weight gainer there is. <laughs> That's can- right. Well, the O-line, coach, O-line coach from Drake's going to be on, Coach McClanahan, and I'm actually going to meet with him uh, tomorrow. So I'll tell him you said what's up. Yeah, tell him I said hello, and um, Coach Stepsis is down here right now recruiting. I'm actually going to go to dinner with him tonight. And um, we've been very fortunate. I mean, I kind of took uh, Jackson's recruiting a little bit differently and tried to find places where I thought he could fit. And I thought he could fit up there. And then when I met that coaching staff, it was, it was evident to me and, and my wife that um, that's a great group of men. And we're excited for him to be a part of that program. Well, like you said, you've got two sons obviously playing football yeah, right Coach now. Fo- Coach Fox is a line guy too. Yes, he is. Exactly. Lots of O-line guys on that, on that staff. Very much so. Like you've got, you know, two sons playing football. And, and then the big thing was there for a while, there's a lot of ex-NFL guys that were very against football. I say a lot. There were some outspoken, very against football, very against their kids playing football. Was that ever a question to you, whether you would, uh, you know, let your boys play football or was it always something that you had hoped they played football like you did? Well, no, I was the terrible parent that let his one, his, let his, his seven-year-old first grader play football this year. Um, <laughs> So, you know, just go ahead and chalk me up as terrible sports dad <laughs> that had his son out there with, with a on it at the age of seven playing organized tackle football. Um, no, there was no – there was never any hesitation with it. The only thing that I did with – we did with our boys or I did with them is you've got to – you've got to – if someone tells you that football is incredibly fun, okay, they're lying. Okay, there are times when it's fun, but the fact of the matter is, well, it's not fun. I mean, when it's 105 degrees outside, you know, and, and you're getting grinded on by somebody, and you're in all that equipment, it's not fun. Okay, there's times it is not fun, but it is incredibly rewarding. And it teaches you things that you cannot get anywhere else in this world. And the one thing we always preach with the kids was, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it 100%. You're not going to, you're not going to participate 
and do this, you know, halfway. You're going to go into this thing full bore and you're going to, you're going to learn and you're going to be a viable member of the team. And I don't know if your skill set puts you on the field as a starter, but you know what? There's probably 25 to 30 plays a game on special teams. You could be a guy on special teams. You could be a guy on field goal protection. You can be a guy. There is always, that's the beautiful thing about it. There's always something that you can do no matter what your body type or skill set. If you will put the time in and work, you can have a job and you can be a viable member of a team. And there was never any doubt about that. I mean, the game of football not only has given me so much, it's taught me so much. It's turned, it helped me grow to be a man. I mean, it was, there was never any second guess that I would, that was a huge deal that I wanted. And I, and I, and if he didn't want to play in college, it's fine. But I was hoping he did because I wanted him to be a part of something bigger than himself like that. And, and that's what the game of football does. And now we're, we're very happy with the choices we made and, Heck, I'd sign up tomorrow if I could. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> sign, sign me up, man. I mean, I could, I'm, I'm, I'm limping around and going to need a knee replacement and everything else, but I'll sign up tomorrow. No, <laughs> That's no awesome. hesitations. None. That's awesome. That, go ahead, Walt. I was just going to say, what were some of the lessons that, you know, you learned, obviously, becoming a man, and then who were some of the, the biggest influences you did have, whether it was teammates or coaches or whatever? I think our, our – listeners like to hear about guys you know what what did football do for them in their life well it taught me an incredible amount of self-confidence and it it helped me with my self-esteem as a kid because I was kind of always the big I mean let's put it for what it is I was kind of always the big fat kid and you know just kind of roly-poly and trying to grow into myself love sports and play but you know it helped me self-confidence wise for one thing Second thing it did, you talk about getting cut three times and then finally making it. You want to talk about perseverance, determination, and those things. Um, learned a ton about that. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of men that, that influenced me as far as showing me what it was like to be a good man. I mean, Coach Rader was a guy that was amazing. Um, never wavered, never changed, never – no matter how good we were doing or how poorly our season was going, he was the same guy every day. He was the same man. He was a family man. He was a strong Christian. And he taught me so much. Um, so he was the guy that influenced my life. Mark Thomas influenced my life incredibly as far as teaching me how to play the game and teaching me that you can play the game with a really nasty streak, and that's okay. That's what you need to do. Assert yourself. And he taught me that side of the game that I had no idea about when I got to Tulsa. Um, so there was a tremendous amount of guys and probably the number one guy in the NFL, um, besides Jim Kelly, who we all know what he's going through. And I will say this, and I've said it on the radio many, many times, that is the toughest man that I ever have ever known. And whether he went through what he's going through now or not, as far as toughness and getting up off the turf and going back in the huddle, there's nobody tougher than that guy. It's not even close. And so besides him and just what he taught me and how it was to be a pro, Kent Hole was a guy that had a tremendous amount of influence, and he was our starting center. He was a guy that started out in the USFL and then ended up in Buffalo. And uh, Kent's no longer with us. Uh, he passed away of, uh, of uh, liver disease. But um, talking about just showing up to work every day at 730, getting your butt in the weight room, doing your work, putting your time in and just 
you know, he influenced me a great deal that way and, and what it was like to what you needed to do to be successful because in 10 years of playing, I could probably tell you, I couldn't even count on two hands the number of guys that came in that door that had 9 million times the athletic ability that I had, but they didn't understand what it was like to be a pro or what it was like to take care of your business. And a guy like Ken Holt taught me that. So you know, there's tremendous amounts of, of influence from high school all the way up to, you know, playing in the league. Was it so you come from Pennsylvania all the way to Tulsa? Was that a big shock, or what? I, I guess I don't know necessarily what part of Pennsylvania, but I would assume it's a little bit different in Tulsa than it as was. An only, as, an only, as an only child moving eighteen hours across the country, you're you, you, you're done right. It was it was crazy. <laughs> um, I was happy. I mean, yeah. I had eighteen. I had eighteen years of unadulterated attention and hovering mothers and things of that nature, and I was ready to get away. Um, my family didn't want me to leave except my dad. Um, my grandparents called my mother every day and wore her out. Why are you letting your, your child go all the way across the country to play football? I had another set, uh, another group of people that didn't even realize that Tulsa was in Oklahoma. That they thought I was, they, they thought I was going to play at some school in New Orleans. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's Tulane. This is Tulsa. Different story. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely different because I had never been on an airplane until my recruiting visit to Tulsa. And um, so it was definitely it was definitely cool. I mean, I had a really good time with it. I, I enjoyed it. And um, I think, you know, of all the people, and I think my mother deep down understood, but my father knew, that, you know, for me to grow up and be the man I needed to be, I had to get away. And uh, I was glad I made the decision. It was the best choice I ever made. Well, that's one of the tips that you kind of helped me with when I was going through, not that I was recruited by that many, but I remember you had talking about just how beneficial it was to be able to get away, you know, kind of go yeah. away, start start learning your own deal, especially only child as well. Hey, go away eight hours, go to Houston and, and telling my dad and, and my parents just, just how good it was going to be for me. And, and I completely agree. It was one of the best decisions I made. Go get away, start your right. own thing and get going. And I think you could also say there probably is a little bit of similarities in the fact, you know, dad knew you need to get out of the house. And mom kind of was like, why are you going that far away from, you know, home? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, definitely some similarities there. But yeah, it helps you. I mean, it makes you grow up and it, you know, it turns you, it turns you into the man you are today. It really helps you. Speaking of, you talk about, you know, guys helping you out and, and going against the, the best in practice. You get to block some pretty good ones in practice at Buffalo, right? Bruce Smith was pretty good. And then I think yeah. you play with Bryce Pop too. He was a, a Northern yeah. Iowa guy. So there's, there's a lot of stories about him. Tell, tell a couple stories about having, you know, those guys to kind of, to kind of sharpen your sword and then be able to, to go out there and play. Well, the best story of it all is everybody asked me that same question. They're like, man, you had Bruce in practice. You must've been ready for anybody. No, because Bruce, you was not allowed to be <laughs> in practice. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> he let, you could not, if you put your hands on Bruce, <laughs> you would go berserk. <laughs> like you could, Bruce barely buckled a chin strap in practice. He would make one run through on pass pro. He would be where he needed to be on, on the, on the scout team stuff and everything. But you didn't, you didn't hit Bruce. And if you did too much, then you, there's a good chance today Bruce is going to beat you, and B, you probably were going to be on the street. <laughs> you couldn't hurt him. So, no, there was Bryce Pop, though, was a different guy. He was a guy that went hard all the time. But, you know, one thing that people don't get in the league is that these guys have been playing for a long, long time. So 
they've kind of got it down. So yeah. as long as you give them a look, you know, I can't tell you how many times you would give, you'd give Bruce a drive-by on a reach block or something, and he would get outside and get where he needed to be, make the play, and we'd go back to the huddle. So as long as the first couple steps of your scout team stuff was full speed, where they could get the, inst- the, the, the read, then after that it was back off. Now there's guys like Chris Spielman who would hit you in the chin with the top of their helmet. I mean, Spielman was tough. I mean, Chris, everything you see about Chris now is 100%. There's nothing made up about Chris Spielman. What you see is what you get. And um, only difference is now he has hair. He never had hair back then. He always shaved his head. But he was a guy that practiced just as hard as he played. But what you don't understand about him was he was – he had a bet with the equipment manager of who would be the first one in the building every day because he was there before six. And he was he watched two hours of film before we even started meetings. You know, Pop was the same way. Bruce can act whatever the way he wants to act, but Bruce was the same way. He prepared – his preparation was, you know, impeccable. A lot of these guys were all paranoid. Like a, I can remember um, them telling stories of, a, of, a, of an offensive lineman last name Devlin, Joe Devlin. And uh, Joe had a notebook on everybody that he played against, pass rushers. Joe was a tackle. He would never tell anybody what was in his book. He's like, well, I'm not telling you. Why not? He goes, because you might get traded and tell the guy over there what I know about him, and I'm not going to let you – I don't want you to tell him what I know about him. There's a lot of paranoia running. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. But the, the thing that was – of the great ones, the thing that was different, besides the fact that they had God-given abilities that, you know, Bruce had a 32-inch waist and could – was 280 pounds and could, you know – he could turn the corner six inches off the ground. I mean, that's, that's stuff that God does for you. But the preparation and the amount of time put in the film study and knowing your opponent was the great ones were, were always, were always preparing all the time. And then you also, you got to play with, were you there when, when Flutie was playing? Oh yeah. I was there I was, when was playing. I've got a, uh, I've still, cause I was going through it. I think last year I was going through all my Jerry memorabilia and I still have a big old box of Flutie flakes with nothing in them, but <laughs> he's got them signed on there. And yeah, so I still have two boxes in the basement. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was there when Flutie was there. That whole, that whole scenario. That was a crazy era in Bill's football with the Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie thing. Um, I'll give Flutie this. I mean, you know, Flutie was a guy that was so was so scarred because he had had to prove himself so many times. And it's like, you know, I can just you can just see the look on his face. He'd roll in a room. He had thrown for four touchdowns, three hundred some yards, and he was still trying to prove himself. People are still trying to say that he wasn't big enough to play. So I could see where he came from. I mean, he had a little different scenario, a little different, you know, scenario than most. But um, as far as wanting to win, no, he wanted to win at everything. <laughs> Whether it was the first one out of the park lot, you know, how many pancakes did you eat, football games, it didn't matter. He wanted to win no matter what. He had a big-time chip on his shoulder. And it was, you know, due to the fact that, I mean, let's face facts. The NFL exiled him to Canada for how many years until the Bills, the Bills rescued him and brought him back. And a big part of it was marketing. They never thought that he would. <laughs> they were trying to become a regional franchise. They were a regional franchise, and they were trying to get more tickets. They were trying to get – they had a big thing going on, trying to get more season ticket holders. 
you know, he played over in Toronto. That's an hour and 30 minutes. How can I bring more people out of Toronto to come to games? Well, we'll sign their, you know, we'll sign Doug Flutie. Nobody thought he was going to be there. Right now. <laughs> Next thing you know, we've got a quarterback controversy. And it was, it was like, dang. And, you know, Doug, Doug, Doug did what he had to do to win. I mean, that's all he cared about. Sure. So he was, uh, it was definitely an interesting time in, in, in Bill's history for, for sure. I was going to ask you about you guys. I mean, the K gun was kind of one of the original no huddle, go fast. Most people had never really seen that before. They were just like enamored with. So I was going to ask you about, you know, being kind of some of the first no huddle people that people really recognize. And then the other thing I was going to ask you about was the fans, Bill's mafia. I mean, you see it all the time online. They're crazy. They're nuts. So, I mean, do you got any, any cool stories about that? Cause Bill's fans are a special breed. Bill's mafia kind of the Bill's mafia was really not the Bill's mafia. When we were there, they were crazy, but a lot of the Bill's mafia was spawned off of the fact that they had what 15 until this year, I was on the last playoff team. Yeah. The home run throwback, Tennessee Titans game, that whole deal. That was the last. That was 2001. So we're 17. So the Bills Mafia was spawned off of 17 years of misery. <laughs> Basically saying, if we're not going to have a football team that's any good, we'll at least go to the games and get hammered and have a good time. So that's kind of where the old, kind of old Bills Mafia spawned from. But um, uh, what was the second part of that question? You asked me about the, the, the K-Gun. The K-Gun. Yeah, the K-Gun was the original no huddle. But the funny thing is, is when we think no huddle nowadays, you think what? Four receivers, wide open stuff. And the K-Gun was named not after Kelly. Okay. Yeah. The, the K-Gun was named after Keith McKellar, who was the tight end. Mm-hmm. And the K-Gun was one, back, was one back pro. I mean, it was yeah. what we call, you know. Right five, left six. I mean, you know, it was – it was that's what it was. It was, you know, and it was three wide outs, Thurman in the backfield and the tight end. And the whole thing spawned off of if you were going to blitz, it was the original hot read. You blitzed. Andre Reed went to the Hall of Fame because of the hot read. <laughs> it's all it was. They'd bring two – Andre with hot read. They'd dump him the ball, and they're like, how do we stop this? Well, the way they stopped it was um, – Dick LeBeau in, the, in, in Pittsburgh, he came up with the zone blitz. The zone blitz, yep. And the zone blitz is what stopped the K-gun. They would give you the blitz look. The defensive end would drop in the, in the hole and be sitting there and took, and took Dre away, and they'd bring pressure backside that would get there because we had nowhere to dump the ball to. So that's where the whole thing – that's where the, the hurry-up no huddle came from. That's where the K-gun came from, and then – you know, how it all evolved and everything else. Uh, you, you talk about Music City Miracle. It, it still breaks my heart. I was saying it. <laughs> breaks your heart. Yeah, it breaks my heart. heart. <laughs> 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 I, was, I was telling you on Twitter, I, was, I remember watching that, and, and we were all excited. I must have been whatever, I think, I guess 10 years old. We were excited. Game was over. We, Jerry, Big Jerry had won. And yep. they, they take it back, and I was so young and didn't know anything about football yet. I was asking Dad, I don't get why Big Jerry didn't just tackle that guy. <laughs> <laughs> out, on, out on kickoff. Why well, was Big Jerry on, was kickoff? on the far sideline because if it was on our sideline, I might have gone Woody Hayes <laughs> and tackled the dude. That's for sure. I, I didn't now, get why so Alex Lyman went on kickoff. 
that was a downfall of Wade, man. He, he wouldn't uh, – Ralph Wilson, our owner, came in after that game, and he demanded that the special teams coach be fired, and Wade was not going to fire him. Hmm. And um, that's where it all – that's where the, the end of Wade as the head coach of the Buffalo Bills came from. And um, that special teams coach was an Oklahoma guy, Ronnie Jones. Um, and, you know, he – and whether – it's not his fault. Right. Yeah. I mean, we had a, you know, the backside contained guy who got overzealous and thought we won the game and hopped inside. And next thing you know, you know, Frank Wycheck throws the ball forward. They catch it and <laughs> call it a full pass and we lose. You know, I, you know, what's so crazy about that is everybody said the team that wins this game is going to win, is going to win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. And they were dead. They were dead on. I mean, that was, the, that was a loud game. It was so loud you couldn't hear. The Titans were rolling back then. Javon Curse. I mean, they were just. It was. It was a very physical, nasty football game. And what you don't remember is the other underlying story of that game was Flutie had won the week before, and the owner came and wanted ended up starting Rob Johnson that game. So Rob ended up playing that game. Oh, and in wow, Rob's yeah. defense, now i got to give Rob credit. In Rob's defense, when we left the field, we were winning. The offense drove. We did exactly what we needed to do. We drove down the field. We had an unbelievable field goal kicker in Steve Christie. He hammered it. We're off the field in a hostile environment that was as, as loud as I've ever played in. We're getting ready to go to the next round of the playoffs, and then they cheated us. <laughs> I was going to say that that's got to be part of the other part of the Bills Mafia. I mean, you got Music City Miracle, and then you had, I mean, four Super Bowl losses to a couple of them, just heart wrenching ones. You know, right. the, the the Scott Norwood kick, wide right, all that. I mean, just talk about unbelievably bad luck. <laughs> but I don't think you'll ever see a team go to four straight Super Bowls. I don't care if you lost them all. That's to me, that's unbelievable. But you you talk about what you learn from football. Well, not only the football team, but the fans themselves learned how to handle adversity real well in Buffalo. <laughs> and when you go to four Super Bowls, you know, win. I was part of the last one, mm-hmm. and um, I was in Atlanta when we lost that game. And, um, man. And I remember watching the first one because I was sweet mates with Gus Farratt in Tulsa. Yeah. So we were all in front of the television watching the first Super Bowl against the Giants because his cousin Mitch played for the Bills. He was a reserve offensive lineman and played quite a bit. So we were watching Mitch play, and we're fired up cheering for the, for the Bills. There's no way in hell I'm cheering for the Giants because I'm from Philadelphia. So <laughs> I'm cheering for the, for the Bills. And um, Norwood kicks a wide right. and I mean, it's just you – can't, you can't imagine. But, yeah, you're right. This Bills Mafia has been spawned from adversity. There's no doubt. <laughs> well, then now, now obviously you came back and you started coaching uh, here in Tulsa. Did you do that as soon as you got done playing, or, or did you – Get into a few other things first, and then start coaching. Uh, now, once you were well, gone. I got into a few other things first. I, I thought that I wanted to try retirement and playing golf, and that wasn't conducive to a good home life and <laughs> anything else. So then I got into the radio. I was actually doing radio back then for a couple of years, and um, that's when I decided I wanted to coach. And that's when Steve Craigthorpe. Um, I, it was funny. I took a bunch of buddies of mine up to Kansas City to watch the Bills play the Chiefs. So we had field passes before the for the warmups. And I went up to Steve. I said, "Yo, I said, there, are you interested in this job?" 
because we had had a good relationship um, from when I was in Buffalo when he was just coming in. I never really played for Steve because I kind of it was kind of the end of the end of their first year with Greg Williams because I had broken my leg in preseason, came back in ten weeks, started a tackle, played seven games, and then it just I was at the point where I wasn't even practicing during the week. And I would go in, get my knee drained, give it a little bit of help, go play a game, go back through, do the whole thing again. Like I was playing, I was starting on Sundays and never even playing, never even practicing during the week. And I had known Steve real well. I respected him. And I went up and I was like, hey, man, you, you interested in this job? And he was like, yeah, sure. Well, I didn't know it, but there was already connections to Tulsa with the Craig Thorpe family because of Tommy Hutspeth, who worked at Tulsa, was a Tulsa alum, but Tommy coached at BYU with Steve's dad, Dave. So he's like, yeah, we need to talk, yada, yada. So we went up for that game, came back, and then a week later we're, we're exchanging, you know, he's sending me resumes and he gets the job at Tulsa. So when he came to Tulsa, he asked me if I would work in the weight room with the kids and try to, you know, gave me a very, you know, narrow, specific directive in the fact that we need to get these guys believing in themselves. There's, there's talent in this room but they're so beat down from the last coach that was here. We need to get them believing in themselves. You need to, you know, that's what we want to be, positive message, get them working, get them understanding what it takes. So I went over to TU and worked for a few years, and then I ended up going to Holland Hall and coaching over there, which is where I still coach now uh, besides doing, you know, I'm back on the radio. I did a few other things, sold some medical equipment and stuff like that, but now I'm back on the radio and, and coaching, which are two things that I, I really love to do. Well, that was a year, like you said, Tulsa was really good those years under Craig Thorpe. I mean, right. I remember. I don't ever remember because I always loved Tulsa because dad played there, obviously, and so did you. But then it was like it never seemed like they were any good. Then when Craig Thorpe came in, I always remember them, you know, being a big deal, it seemed like, around Tulsa even. Well, you guys had Nick Bunning on. I yeah. mean, he's, been on your, he's been on the Run the Power podcast, and Nick coaches at Holland Hall with me. And I remember Steve came in. They were a little bit behind the eight ball. And um, Brian Thompson and, and Tag Gross, they came over to my house, and I invited Steve over, and they brought some DVDs of players. And they said, hey, you need to look at these guys. They can play at Tulsa. And one of them was Nick. And he liked Nick when he saw. He ended up having to talk. He talked Todd Graham into taking him. He came up finally. Nick had two offers, Tulsa and, Miss, and Missouri State. And um, Nick ended up playing as a true freshman and would just – I mean, talk about a guy that willed himself, willed himself and got everything he could out of his body to be a productive player and an unbelievable um, linebacker at the University of Tulsa. I mean, you know, but those are the kind of guys you need. And those are the kind of guys that Steve found. It wasn't necessarily the four stars. And those it – was, it was grinder guys that understood program and understood work and all that. There were some of those guys already on the, on the team, but the, the previous staff just – beat him down so badly they didn't believe in themselves anymore. So once he got those guys believing in themselves, I think it was when they went to Minnesota. They went mm -hmm. to Minnesota and played up there in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the dome, and they got beat, but they competed, and they were in the game. And it's when all of a sudden I think the light switch went on and they, they started to believe in themselves. And then they had a – you know, the rest was history. Steve got them the Liberty Bowl championships and, and everything else. So, uh, yeah, really good run of Tulsa football. They were almost ready to – how close were they to, to shutting down the program? I know Nick had said it was pretty close. They were on the cusp. I mean, they'd won, what, one game in two years, something like that? Yeah, it was, it was – they were, 
yes, it was. They were talking about it, and they should have been talking about it. The last game that that Keith Burns coached, um, I went to that game against Rice. It was a little bit cold. I was up in the press box, and there were probably three thousand people there. I mean, it was that bad. Wow. And the they could have shut it down. I don't think anybody would have complained about it. I think everybody would have understood. But fortunately for the school, the hire that they made just talks about timing of hires and how important that is. The the guy they hired resurrected the program and and just you know from that point on just started a tremendous run. So then you start going and you're coaching at Hall and Hall, obviously, and, and used to either college players or you're playing with uh, NFL guys or being an NFL guy yourself. So what was the, the change up in that or how was that? Uh, what did you have to do to start now coaching a bunch of, of high school kids? I'll never forget the first conversation I had over trying to figure out who the mic was. <laughs> and them looking at me like, what are you talking about? The mic, you got to point the mic out, and then you make the call. And they're like, Mike, you like to play on this team. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's like dawned on me, I think it's time for me to figure out language that they understand because I had things that would could make them successful, but I had to put it in terms that they would understand. And that's that's what it was. I kind of, you know, one thing I took from your from from your dad, Rowdy, was always – he would say, the way we play physically with our toughness, our, our tenacity, our speed and all that, we'll win, we'll win a lot of games just off of that because other teams aren't able to play at that level. And it, it always kind of rang true because that was a big Marv Levy quote that his big quote was, we'll, we're going to play at a, at a level that they're unwilling or unable to match. So I was like, okay, the first thing I do is get these kids to believe in themselves where they're going to play at that level and finish blocks and do all those different things. And then we can worry about the rest of the stuff and simplifying our step patterns and all that. And it's, uh, it, was, it was tremendously rewarding. And the best part about it is when you see a kid that you take as a six foot four, 170 170-pound freshman who – still to this day has the nickname Gallup because he looked like a newborn horse when he was when he came in there. He couldn't squat because his body would basically disconnect. Um, go to Wash U and be a six foot five, two hundred and eighty five pound four year starter, team captain, all conference, and now is in Houston working for an oil company just killing it. That's the type of thing that that I learned real quick that that's what was the rewarding part for me. I mean, we had guys go to Tulsa. We had guys go. I had guys play at Princeton, some different places. But the guys that come into the program buy into what you're selling, and when they leave and come back two, three, four years later, and you can see what they learned and, it, and this, maybe the successes they had at another school, even if they don't play football the fact that they're successful and they come back and they, they understand that what they learned on the field with you was a big part of helping them get where they are. That's where the rewards are for me. I mean, everybody, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but everybody can coach the, the guy that's six, five, 300 pounds. That's right. 
Okay, don't I mean I understand you can you can refine them and turn them into guys to get 25, 30 offers. I I understand that and I think that's a big deal. But I love the guys that that you look at and you're like as freshmen you're like really and then the seniors they are I mean for lack of better terms they're kicking ass and 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 doing what you want them to do and it's that to me is a reward I love that. I love that about high school kids. I love taking kids that don't think they can, and by the time they're seniors, not only do they know they can, they, they walk around like they know they can. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, to me, that just speaks volumes. I've, I've always been a fan of the guy that could coach, you know, the kid that wasn't supposed to start, or, you know, you're the guy that, hey, yeah, we're going to take all these good defensive linemen, you're going to get these guys, right. and all of a sudden now, you, now you're kicking the defensive line. I mean, that, that was the thing I always, I always loved the most. Same thing like in college, I'd follow the programs that, you know, it used to be TCU. They were kind of the, the up-and-comer. The Boises, you know, would find these diamonds in the rough. Those were always the, the programs that I followed because they were taking those kids that nobody wanted and they were beating the crap out of the teams that got to select their guys. Exactly, and we, we do that all the time. You know, you're going to have these guys because, you know, Coach Bunt gets the first pick. He gets the first <laughs> eleven. And then we get everybody else. Now, what's funny about this is I did take a year off when I was working at my medical job, and I ended up coming – I came back to coach, and I missed it so much. And that was a big part of the reason I went to radio was because it was killing me not being able to be a part of it and um, gave up the medical deal to go back to radio, come back to coach. And, well, the line – the offensive line job was filled. So he's like, well, yeah, I want you to come back to coach. He goes, would you have reservations coaching defensive line? I was like, heck no. Let's go. Because who better <laughs> coach defensive line than the dude that knows? It's like, it's like you're in the military and you, you, you build a bomb, and then five minutes later they're back in the room trying to build a defeat for the bomb that they just made. You know? <laughs> and I can, I can build the defeat for the bomb, if, if you want to put an analogy to it. And the D-line stuff, now I'm still learning. I mean, I've – I'm, I'm doing just what every other great coach does. I'm compiling stuff from every other coach and stealing everything that I think is good. That's, that's kind of what we all do. It's kind of what we all do, right? But uh, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a big challenge. It's been fun. And um, I don't know. I still, like, I, still like my, I still like my offensive linemen because I still think the D linemen get a little too D-ish for me. But uh, <laughs> it, definitely. it is fun to coach that side of the ball. Well, I was kind of curious, you know, obviously when I was growing up, it was like, it was like always, you know, Big Jerry and he played football in the NFL and he'd even come to some of my baseball football games. I'd get psyched because Big Jerry was at the game. But now you've been out of it for a while. Do, do the kids still, you know, see that little shining you were in the NFL or was it so long ago <laughs> now that, that uh, they kind of forget about it? I, some of them know. I mean, yeah. some of them know, some of them don't know. Um, but they still think it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. they understand. And it's, um, you know, it's just like, I'm just like any other father, guys. The, the, the kids that don't listen to me are my own. Everybody else's kids do listen to me. <laughs> I mean, my own are the ones that roll their eyes and are like, yeah, whatever. You know, they're the, ones that, they're the ones that have the issues. I love coaching other people's kids. They listen. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, yeah, some of them still do. And, and I think the best, the best fun we, the most fun we have at, at Holland Hall is we have so many Tulsa alums. So it drives, it drives, you know, tag coach gross nuts. Cause we get to talk in Tulsa stories and he gets left out and gets all heard about it and has to leave the room, <laughs> you know, 
he'll, <laughs> he'll get over it eventually. It's only been about 15 years. <laughs> well, I'm still mad at Tulsa too. You know, I was right in the, uh, I was right in the shadow of the stadium, and I was excited to go follow Big Jerry and Dad, and and never got the offer. So I'm still mad at, still mad at all the Tulsa people and at you walls because you were there, and so uh, I'm mad at all you guys too for all of it. Still, don't be mad at me. I'm the one who was in there beating the door, telling them they're idiots. <laughs> I got, I still hold the grudge. You shouldn't hold the grudge after you this long, but I still, grudge. I still hold the grudge over yeah. everything. I, wa- I wasn't there, man. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, they they didn't recruit one guy that I recommended. You're a GA, you guys are just shut your mouth. They can they can take my recommendations. No, All my I'm... guys hit. <laughs> you were 100. percent I was 100. percent Rowdy, as I've told you before, you you were you made the right decision to, to go nine hours away. Believe me. Yeah, was, I... I know that you wanted to play for for the home team, but it, uh, it it's it was good for you to get out of town. Yeah, it was. It was. It was perfect for me, and ended up in a great situation. Loved Houston. Loved all that time. But it was. It's just funny, and and I do. I hold a grudge over little little silly things like that all the time. But kind of kind of keeps me kind of keeps me rolling. Right. Right. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I hold a grudge against them too for it. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, well, the other thing I was kind of wanting to tell some stories, some big Jerry stories. Obviously, Dad lived there for whatever it was a, a season, and so we were over there. I always thought walls the coolest thing. Big Jerry had a, a, a chair in there that had a massager in the chair, and I thought that was. <laughs> it's funny what you remember when you're a little kid, and that was right. the coolest thing ever. And I would anytime I'd go over, I'd be like, "Can I get in the chair?" And I'd get in the chair, and I'd get that massage. <laughs> It'd roll up all different types of massage yeah. on it. That was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time, man. Good it time. was. I I remember the first time I. I was gonna say the first time I met you, Jerry-O, was at the uh, one of the Jenks golf mm-hmm. outings. So I think they had one of the Jenks um, fundraisers or whatever. And Coach right. Trimble's like, "Hey, that's that's Jerry-O, because I'd heard about you or whatever." He's like, make sure you go up and shake his hand. So I, w- I walk over to him and I was like, hey, I introduced myself. I shook your hand. And he's like, does he not have the biggest hands you've ever seen? He's like, I don't know how he can hold a golf club. His hands are so dang big. So I had to ask you, you know, a little bit about how, one, how is your golf game? And two, right. how do you overcompensate, man, with those freaking meat hooks you got? He's got the big putter grips he's got to put on his regular clubs. Yeah, got <laughs> he's got like the baseball grip. Grips, yeah. I put about five wraps under a jumbo grip. Is what I use. Um, so that's how I get by with the grips. My golf game's non-existent, though, guys. I mean, <laughs> we we adopted seven-year-old twins when they were two and a half. Well, we got them when they were two and a half. When they were when they were three and a half, four-ish, we adopted seven-year-old twins. So we kind of reloaded. Um, we got eighteen <laughs> going to the Drake this, you know, next year. We got a sophomore to be, and then we've got these seven-year-old twins who are. They were awesome. I mean, but it's – hey, you know how it is with young kids. It's a lot of work. So, between the really bad knee that I have right now that I'm, I'm actually going to get replaced here pretty soon and the kids, I've been, uh, I've been uh, relegated to a boat for quite some time. I do a lot of fishing. We go down <laughs> to the lake and hang out, and the kids run around with my, with my mother, and um, we go catfishing and stuff like that. We're, the days of – the days of all that glamorous bass fishing are over, too. I like fishing that I can sit down, throw an anchor out, and just, you know, just enjoy myself. So, the golf game, one day it might be back, but right now it's, it's, it's non-existent. 
Well, well, that was the other thing. Uh, you know, I always growing up thought that we owned a boat, but I, I found that out. <laughs> I found out as I got older when Dad said, "No, we didn't own the boat. <laughs> we just we just went out on the boat all the time." No, I always likened it to a race team. <laughs> it was the owner of the race team and the driver of the race car, and so your dad was the driver of the race car. I was the owner of the race team. That's how I look at it. I was, he was Dale Earnhardt Sr. and I was Richard Childress. That's how we put it. <laughs> now, we used to, yeah, we used to do a lot of fishing. We need to do a lot of fishing now. It's just, man, it's, the days are short. And you guys know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, to do this profession right and to, be a, and to be a good coach, you've got to put the time in. And um, the other thing you need to be, though, is when you have a wife and kids, you need to be a good dad. You need to be there, a good husband and be there for them, too. So it's, it's definitely challenging. The time is the time is limited, and you've got to find a way to make it spread to everyone. So, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I wouldn't want it any other way. It's a, it's a good time. Well, then now, like you said, you're doing radio again, and I think you'd even talked about maybe doing a, a show after the radio or a, a post-show yeah. Uh, episode, but what do you get? What are all you guys doing with the radio show? And is it? I know you just got back. Well, on. I do. It's it's funny. I'm 47. I'm 47 years old, and I do a radio show with Pat Jones, Coach Pat Jones from Oklahoma State. Pat was uh, he's from Arkansas, from Little Rock area. Coach with with uh, Coach Royals at Arkansas. Was friends with Jimmy Johnson. Coached coached obviously as an assistant for Jimmy at Oklahoma State. I actually coached Jimmy in Pittsburgh for a little bit. Um, Jimmy left and uh, went to Miami, and Pat took over the uh, the Cowboys job at Oklahoma State. Was there for a long time, and then he got caught back up with Jimmy at Miami uh, with the Dolphins. So Pat and I had been friends for quite some time. Obviously, we played against each other. This is back when Oklahoma State used to play Tulsa every year. Back when we were, I guess you could say, somewhat equals. Now they're a superpower, and Tulsa's a you know little old school. You know, that, that deserve to play them every year, but they should have that series back every year like it used to be. But yeah. um, when Pat coached at Miami, I saw him twice a year. And we used to talk before and after every game. We'd catch up, see what's going on. Obviously, Pat coached Thurman. So he'd always come over to see Thurman. He'd have cigars for us. You know, here, have a cigar. We'd talk and, and, and things like that. So we've always had, a, you know, a, a close relationship that way. And um, with Al Jerkins retiring, this summer, uh, the radio station came to me and was like, look, we think you'd be the perfect fit. And um, so once we got through negotiations and all that, decided to go back on the radio because while I thoroughly enjoyed medical sales, it took away from my ability to be a good coach because there were some days I couldn't get there on time. And it drove me nuts to ask of my kids the things that I could not give back to them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm like, how do I hold this kid accountable for not being on time? How do I hold him accountable for not doing this? And I'm not here. So I decided to take that year off because of it and realized real quick, I did not want to do that. So I um, decided to make a change. Uh, medical sales, a young man's game and uh, made a change, got back on the radio and, um, and it's been hilarious. I mean, it's been fun. It's a good time. I mean, you want to talk about stories. You guys need to get you need to get Pat on the on the podcast if you want to talk about stories. He's unbelievable. And uh, you know, he was 
he just has them. I mean, they're all the time. There's some that you hear. There's some of the stories you'll hear more often than other ones. But he broke <laughs> one out the other day, he broke one out the other day that you guys will appreciate. He was talking about Dan Marino. We're talking about the center exchange. We're talking about Baker Mayfield having issues with the center exchange in, in Cleveland. Under center, obviously not shotgun. That's what he always did. So he tells a story about this uh, this center, this new center that comes in, and he's in he's in Miami and. Um, he snaps the ball, Marino fumbles it. Well, the O-line coach, he turns around and is like, well, takes two to tango, get down to me 20. And Marino looks at this guy and goes, are you talking to me? <laughs> you go ahead and give me 20. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> the line coach is like, uh, no, I was talking to the center. <laughs> he was, he was, it was funny. He was telling the story about it because it was – I had some of the same stories with Jim when I was trying – when they were teaching me how to play center. And, you know, they give me the ball and they say, okay, you got, you got two rules. Snap the ball on time and don't break his finger. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it was – you know, there's a lot of good stories. It's a good time. Coach Jones is a good guy. He's hilarious. And, um, you know, the age difference is, a, is also a funny thing. There's, you know, he's so set in his ways about stuff. And, you know, trying to get him – you know, having, having situations where you're trying to get him to change his mind and he's not budging, it's, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's funny. It's a good time. What are some things he won't budge on at all? Uh, well, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to say that that if if I gave you a patism, I'd say, well, uh, um, I can't tell you right now. I'd have to tell you off the air. I can't give you my source. But um, <laughs> one of the things he's not budging on is he absolutely hates young guys that that commit early. He does not believe anybody that's not a senior that commits to a school. He don't believe in one of them. None of them. <laughs> Sophomores, juniors. If you're not a senior and you commit, he doesn't believe you. We had the, we had some a basketball player in town the other day that committed somewhere, and we had a guy on. We were talking about it, and um, I mean, he coach was adamant. He's like, "Well, is, did he tell everybody he's not talking to him anymore?" I don't think so. That means he's not committed. I mean, he might have told him he's going there, but he's not committed. <laughs> and um, he's just real, you know. He's real. There's there's things because he was a coach because he lived through it that he's, you know, he's, he's, he's sitting stone, but I, I just love it to death. I mean, it's enjoyable. It's a, it's great time. And um, to get to go to work with a guy like him and just you cut up for three hours, right? Yeah. Laugh for three hours and go to practice every day in a great mood because you just laughed for three hours with a guy telling stories about stuff. It's, it's, it's a great situation to be in. Well, and I'm sure, yeah, and I'm sure you miss being around those coaches too, you know, the whole year without right. being around football or talking football. I know that's why, you know, me and Walls talk all the time about it is just that's what makes it so much fun, football. I mean, I know there's other great stuff about it, but as a coach, it's being around a bunch of other guys that love football and getting to talk and BS with them about some of the stories and then about football. The amazing thing about it is if we wanted to, if we didn't have to talk about baseball, if we didn't have to talk about the Thunder, if we didn't have to talk about this, that, and the other. Coach Jones and I could do a three-hour show, five days a week, on football the whole year and never waver one time. We would have, you know, because right now they talk about this is the dead period, you know, the big joke in sports radio, this is, this is boxer briefs time. You know, 
hey, everybody, boxer briefs, four, six, <laughs> you know, you know, what do you choose? You know, do you want and it's, and it's like, we could not, we don't, we don't have to do that. If we had to, we could talk about football for three hours every day and not blink an eye. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a good time and it's good to be in this state because football is king here and there are a lot of football fans and that's what they want to talk about. I can't blame them. No, I can't, I can't blame them either. Who wants to keep talking about why the Thunder can't win games? And the obvious problem is the same guy that's there all the time, which is Russell Westbrook. But that's just me. <laughs> that, that's what I try to say all the time, Harper. That was like my argument all the time. And all you guys would just say, oh, triple-double. He's got triple-doubles. Yeah. Triple He's really double. good. Triple-double. Like, mm-hmm. like, he hasn't won anything ever. He hasn't Russ won is anything. my guy. Russ is my guy. Come on. I tell you what, <laughs> give me a team of all the ex-Thunder players. And we'll make an NF, we'll make an NBA team of just X Thunder players, and I get you. I, I guarantee you we can get to the finals. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's, definitely, <laughs> that's definitely true. I'll even take Scott Brooks. Give me Brooks back too. Oh, yeah. I, well, I liked Brooks. I, I always liked Brooks, but not that I knew that much about basketball. I know almost nothing about it. I just know right. we used to not have basketball. We got it, and that was like the coolest thing ever to me. Exactly. Not have any pro sports, and all of a sudden we have one. And so that's what a lot of people are like, think I'm a big NBA fan, and I'm really not. I just like watching the Thunder. So what, has been the, what has been the one buzzword of the show right now? Adversity, right? We've talked about adversity throughout the show. <laughs> what is one thing that Oklahoma City Thunder fan has never faced? Adversity. Sure. You're all a bunch of spoiled brats. <laughs> you, went out, you went to the grocery store. You bought a packet. You bought a packet that said "Instant NBA Team." Stuck it in some water, stirred it up, and you've got three future Hall of Famers on one roster. And and life is grand. <laughs> Be a guy like me that's had to suffer with the Sixers for years, yeah. and years upon years. That's adversity. That's <laughs> what the fans about. That doesn't sound so, as much fun. It's not the Oklahoma two, Supersonics, man. Not Come having, on. Not having two MVPs and no championship to speak for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more fun when they just win. Oklahoma Supersonics. Yes, exactly. Thank you. I'd rather go watch the G League team over at the Wells Fargo in Des Moines, Iowa. than <laughs> better believe it. That's what I'd rather do. I'd rather go watch the, De- <laughs> I'd rather go watch the Des Moines Wild, the Iowa Wild. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did the other day. As a matter of fact, after we were up there for an official visit, we went and watched one of those games. That place is great. I, I honestly couldn't even tell you what the name of the G League team is. <laughs> That's how much I care about that. I think is, it, is it the Iowa Wolves? I don't yeah, think it is. Not I want to say they switched it. Wolves. Yeah, they're Wolves. Lots of good fundamentals in Iowa basketball. <laughs> oh, yeah, very fundamentally sound. Five times before you shoot it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think that's all the rules in Iowa. It used to be the home. That was one of the, the early places that had women's basketball, and it was three-on-three. Three. Imagine being the, the, three, the three girls that had to just play defense. That would no, be really no, that, fun. that was in Oklahoma, too. My wife Did they have that. it there, too? Yeah. As a matter of fact, his mother probably played that. Yep, she did. What, was she offense or defense? Right? She was offense. She was okay. offense. Her sister was defense. Okay. My wife was offense too. So she has no idea like anything about defense. She's like, my, my I just, wife, I just rebounded wife, and scored. My wife was straight Matumbo. She had no <laughs> offensive skills. She just went up. She just got beat up and went, went, went and put both hands in the air and just 
chase the person around. My grandma still says that they need to go back to that. My grandma to this day says that's the way it was much better then, much more scoring. I don't know. It's just funny. It's funny just the different different, uh, thoughts on things. Is it covered wagon parked outside too? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they made the move to Dallas now. They're they're living high on the hog now. Wow, okay. They're they're rolling. That's right. Another episode of the pod, run the run the power podcast. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and then you forgot about the coolest part. So all your NFL stuff, it was all really awesome. You're on the radio, really cool. But then when you had the barber barbecue joint just down the street from my house, that was the coolest part. Oh yeah, that was really cool. That. I'm glad it was cool for you, Rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it was cool for you. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. Good times, man. Good times. <laughs> that's, why got, that's why I got eight jobs, man. <laughs> it was the coolest for me. Oh, no. Well, see what I'm saying? My whole, my whole early life yeah. revolved around making Rowdy happy and getting him some, you know, massage chairs, plates. <laughs> Barbecue, free free he boats. Owned a, he owned a boat for a while. I mean, it was all about it was all about you know Rowdy was taking care we, of. We had the truck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Now the guy's freaking bankrupt. He's got to get back, get another job. He's going to be retired, freaking Jerio on the golf course. Harper freaking pound him out of all this stuff. I'm selling plasma on the weekend. I think, I think you paid for half of my baseball everything from all the tickets. <laughs> the first person you go to is like Jerry if you, had any, if you had any tickets to sell for baseball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I probably bought about $50,000 worth of food. You can, only so many, you, can only, you can only eat so many, buy one, get one free Big Macs from McDonald's, man. Raffle tickets, never won a raffle. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy that's uh, classic it was, it was good times though man good times it definitely was well you know kind of getting up on an hour but just gonna ask you the last thing i ask everybody but you're watching another offensive line play what what's something that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach you know we talked about it earlier and i talked about the things that i like in coaching high school kids and that's getting the kids to believe in themselves, and, the, and when they walk on the field, they kind of got a, a chip on their shoulder. They play with a nasty attitude. They, they get after it. They're, they're, they're running downfield to get blocks. The things that I really like, and it's something I see when I watch Oklahoma's offensive line, and it's why I like Coach Biedenboe so much. When I see them play, these are five-star, for the most part, five-star guys rolling out there on the field. Now, they've got a few – every now and then that'll that'll sneak through that weren't. But when you see an offensive line of that stature, but yet they play with that chip on their shoulder like they're still trying to prove themselves, that to me is an, is highly enjoyable. That's something I – because so many – nowadays with, with the spread and the no huddles and things, you get so much, you know, in the way type football. We want to – we want to wall this guy off. We want to – you know, it, it, the physicality of it kind of leaves the game a little bit up front. When you can see a group that not only has a physical talent, but they'll do the dirty work, you know, like your overachiever guys. Because to me, that's the greatest attribute you could, you could have. To me, the greatest thing you'd be called is an overachiever. Because that means that you're 
utilizing your abilities in, in some. And that's, that's saying that you're working hard. When you can see those guys that are talented, they know they're talented, but they play with that chip on their shoulder like they're not, that to me is, is something I really look forward to. I look forward and it's something I enjoy watching. Well, hey, we, we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think yeah. I had a blast. Welcome. Yeah. This is a lockdown memory lane with Roddy Harper. <laughs> that, I'm, I'll tell you right now, this is this is the one that I laugh the most on. I know that. So entertaining <laughs> well, as hell. You and I should you you can call me back next week and you and I'll talk and you can ask me questions and then we can splice it all together and you know because I'm serious. It's like that show on Sunday night. This is your life. I mean, I'm waiting for guys to start walking out of the back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just wanted to tell you guys this, okay? Um, I appreciate what you're doing for the game of football. It's awesome. Um, it's it's great to get not only people out there and the awareness and everything else, but, uh, you know, as we've talked about many times, I listen to your podcast, the things that they say, the game of football is under attack, and it's under attack by people that don't understand it and don't understand what it's all about. And the fact that you're getting the word out there and that, people are learning what's important and they're learning what good coaches are and they're learning what good programs are that that does nothing but help the game of football in this country so you might think what you're doing is small but it's not it's big and you know keep doing what you're doing you guys are doing a hell of a job and it's it's a great it's a great listen and you learn things I mean today we learned all about Rowdy's childhood nothing about football whatsoever but uh, I was glad to once again, you know, entertain Rowdy. But I uh, know in all seriousness, what you guys are doing is is, is good stuff, and, and I appreciate that. And it's, uh, you know, hopefully our young coaches and guys out there listen to this because coaching is such a – you gravitate towards what's good. You gravitate towards what you relate to. And, you know, you get a little tidbit here, you get a little tidbit there. And when you finally become that master coach, and I don't know if any of us become master coaches, but when you've been coaching for a while, you can see pieces of other people in, in the person the coach because we, we, we take the best things of other people and we, and we use them for our own good. And not only what you guys do, but exposing other coaches to people around the country. It's awesome, and, and I appreciate it. You guys are doing a good job. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. We grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.